It's a joy, Brother Shane, for me to be here. Thank you for the privilege to come. Uh, I live in Jacksonville, Florida, flew up yesterday to Atlanta, and this week I get to drive Brother Shane's cool truck. That's what I get to drive this week. So uh, I'm grateful, preacher. Everybody's been so hospitable to me. Hey, I'm going to say a quick word, and then I'm going to preach. I am not any kind of an authority on revivals, but after all these years on the road, it's amazing to me that Sunday night is the single most important service in a short series of meetings. I don't understand why it works that way, but it does. So I'm preaching to the body all day today, preaching to the church, and I pray you'll be back tonight. Tonight's going to be a special night in the house of the Lord. Take your Bibles today, if you would, and turn to 1 Kings chapter 18. 1 Kings chapter 18. And I'm preaching today on this subject, repairing broken altars. Repairing broken altars. Would you stand for the reading of the Word of God, everybody standing in the house? 1 Kings 18, I'll begin reading in verse 30. And Elijah said to all the people, come near unto me, and all the people came near unto him. Now watch this. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. And Elijah took 12 stones, according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, unto whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be thy name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And made a trench about the altar, as great as would contain two measures of seed. That's about six gallons of water. And he put the wood in order and cut the bullock in pieces and laid him on the wood. And said, fill four barrels with water and pour it on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. He said, do it the second time. And they did it the second time. He said, do it the third time. And they did it the third time. And the water ran round about the altar and he filled the trench also with water. And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel, that I am thy servant, that I've done all these things at thy word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that these people may know that thou art the Lord God, and thou hast turned their heart back again then. I'm going to say that word one more time, then. Then the fire of the Lord fell. And consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. When all the people saw it, they fell on their faces. They said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Son, I believe I would have too, don't you? I'm preaching today on this subject, repairing broken altars. Thank God for the reading of his inerrant book. Please be seated and pray with me. Would you do that across the house? Now, God, I ask you to do that which I cannot do. I cannot work up or manufacture. I ask you to anoint me with the power of the Holy Ghost. God, would you loose me and let me go? And I come against every devil and demon spirit. God, would you do the preaching right now? And I promise to give you the glory. And I'll thank you in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Psalm 43, 4 says, I will go to the altar of God. I still love the story of the elderly woman that walked into a pet store one day and she told the shop owner, I'd like to buy a talking bird. Said, I live all by myself. I'm a lonely old woman. I need somebody to talk to me. I want a talking bird. Shop owner said, well, lady, I've only got one bird in the whole store that talks. I can't sell him to you. He used to belong to a sailor and he's got such a dirty mouth. He just says bad words all the time. She said, you sell that bird to me. If he says a bad word, I'll change his life. Well, sure enough, the first day she walked by that bird, he just let out a string of ugly words. She turned and said, don't do it again or you'll be sorry. The next day, the bird did it again and that was it. That woman had had enough. She grabbed that bird by the scruff of the neck, 
walked over to the refrigerator, opened the freezer, threw that bird in, closed that freezer, left that bird in there 10 minutes. Came back 10 minutes later, that bird was crusted with ice, beak was about frozen together, took that bird out, put that bird on the perch, he was shivering and shaking. She said, well, well, did I get your attention? He said, oh lady, you did. Said, I promise you I'll never say another bad word again. I just, I just got one question. I want to know one thing. What in the world did that turkey do? <laughs> now, folks, I'm going to tell you something about that bird. That bird went to a place and had his life changed. I'm going to tell you something. You may be here today and you may need to have your life changed. And if you do, I got just the place for you to come. The place I'm talking about is not far from where you're sitting right now. The place I'm talking about is at the end of every row. It's at the end of every aisle. You know what I'm saying. The place I'm talking about is that place we call the altar. The altar is still that place where you can go to have your life changed. Now, I'm sorry to say, Brother Shane, we live in a generation where a lot of churches have forgotten the altar. Some churches have removed the altar. Some churches ignore the altar. But I believe I'm in a church this week that still believes in the altar. And I thank God for the altar. The Bible tells us one of the greatest revivals in the Bible took place at an altar. Can I bring you all up to speed? Can I remind you where we are? A drought has come to Israel. For three years it had not rained. For three years. But not only was Israel in a physical drought and the crops were dying, they were in a spiritual drought. You know what was going on, you students of the Bible? A wicked old king named Ahab and his queen Jezebel were on the throne. And they'd allowed everything to come into Israel. And Israel had been poisoned by bad preaching. The philosophies of Phoenicia from the north and Egypt from the south had squeezed into Israel and squeezed the preaching out of the land. Now idols were everywhere. They were worshiping the devil. It was a great day of immorality and idolatry. And the Bible said a man of God named Elijah had had enough. The Bible said he got alone with God, walked in for a confrontation with the king and said, Hey, old boy, I want you to get 450 of your best preachers together and meet me on top of Mount Carmel. I'm going to let them go first and ask their gods to send down fire on the altar. And when they finish, I'm going to go. And the God that answers by fire and burns everything up, that God is God. And everybody knows the story. They went first, jumped up and down, had a hissy fit, cut themselves, just went into a rage, and their dead gods never answered. But when the man of God prayed, the God of heaven sent down fire. Now, folks, it was no contest. See, their gods were superficial. Elijah's God was supernatural. See, their gods were man-made. Elijah's God made man. See, their gods had no beginning. Elijah's God had no ending. And the Bible said when the man of God prayed, whoom, like a supernatural missile. The Bible said the fire of God fell on the altar and burned everything up. And the people declared the Lord is God. And if you believe that story really happened, shout amen. Amen. Everybody believes that happened. But I want you to understand a principle. It did not happen before something else happened. It did not happen without a very significant process that the man of God went through. Folks, we skip this often when we think about this glorious fire falling revival. But we can't have the revival without verse 30. For look what it says in verse 30. And Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. Watch this now. All the people came near to him and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. I love the word repaired. Brother Shane, I love that word. It's a medical word in the Hebrew. Literally, it means to stitch. Literally, it means to make well. In other words, it's a picture of a surgeon mending a cut or a wound. Everybody got the picture? 
The Bible said until the altar was repaired, until the altar was mended, until the altar was made right, the fire of God wouldn't fall. I've now been a traveling evangelist almost 30 years. And I'm going to tell you something. Never in my life have I longed to see the fire of God fall on the church like we needed in this hour. And I want you to know, Brother Shane, never in my life have I believed the modern-day church needs old-fashioned Holy Ghost revival like we need it today. But I want you to know we'll not have it in our personal lives or our church lives. We'll not have revival until we repair the altars. I really believe, I'm going to give this to you fast. I really believe there's four altars that need to be repaired. Four altars in our personal life and our church life. Four altars that must be repaired if the fire of God's going to fall. Number one, if the fire of God's going to fall, we must repair the altars of peace. Boy, I need to say that one more time. The altars of peace. Look what he says in verse 31. And Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob. Under the word of the Lord came saying, Israel shall be thy name. Everybody watch this. The Bible said he took 12 stones. The Bible said that he piled them up. I believe we're taught by history they're piled up in a big old heap piled up to make a monument. So he piled them up, piled 12 stones together. Now he's already told us why. Because the 12 stones represent the 12 tribes. Israel had been scattered in more than one way. They were divided. There was much dysfunction and disunity in the land. So the Bible says he piled the stones up. Don't you understand? It's a picture of peace because before revival comes, we got to repair the altars of peace. Now, before I go any further, I know I'm in a sweet church. I know I'm in a loving church. I know that. I've already experienced that. But folks, it's still possible for one or two Christians or some believer to kind of be disjointed with somebody else. And they may not even be here this morning. And I'm telling you, until that's repaired, the fire of God won't fall like the fire of God needs to fall. I've got five little grandchildren. They're all still very small. One of them's a boy. He's the infant. But I've got four little granddaughters. And they're ages four to eight. And I'm telling you, they're a hoot. Two of them live in your state of Georgia, up in Augusta, near Augusta. And two of them live in St. Augustine, Florida. Well, several years ago, my wife Judy and I took the kids and the grandkids to Disney World for, you know, our big gift to them for the year. You know, Disney World's a fascinating place. I mean, check it out at 9 o'clock in the morning. Cinderella's castle's shining at the end of Main Street and everybody's got a glow and the kids got balloons and everybody's rosy cheek. Hey boys, check out Disney about five o'clock in the afternoon. I mean when it's about 9,000 degrees in the middle of July, son. And dads are walking around in a daze and a stupor and, and women look like they got the face of a zombie. They're just walking around, pulling the, pushing them baby strollers. Looks like some of the Baptist churches I go in from time to time. And I'm telling you, those folks just look miserable, son. You know what happened with two of them little girls, two of them sisters? They were loving one another. They'd had a big day. They'd been holding hands, and they'd ridden all the rides. And, but as the evening went on, Brother David, those two little girls began to get snippy with one another. And they began to, you know, little sisters. Finally, it happened, son. We were sitting at a table or at a, at a bench getting ready to go into a restaurant for an evening meal about 6 o'clock that night. And the 6-year-old is sitting next to her 3-year-old sister. And they'd been at each other a little bit. And all of a sudden, we heard a fap. And son, that 3-year-old reached over and hit her 6-year-old sister right across the chest with her hand. I mean, fap. I mean, she just hit her. Her mother, my daughter, just lost it. 
And she looked at that three-year-old and said, what in the world did you hit your sister for? Son, that three-year-old never missed a beat. She looked at her mom and said, mama, she had a fly on her chest. (laughs) Now, folks, I'm going to be honest. I never saw the fly, never saw the fly. But can we get real? Sometimes sisters just feel like they need to slap one another. Sometimes brothers need to duke it out. And that even happens in church. Now, I'm not saying we're going to have a fist fight today at this wonderful church. I'm not saying that. I'm not talking about a fist fight. I'm saying sometimes brothers and sisters get at aught with one another. Sometimes we get divided. Sometimes little agendas crop up. Don't look at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. And the devil loves that. And can I tell you something about this great church? And this is a great church. Can I tell you what the devil would love to do? Preacher, the devil loved to tear this place up. I'll tell you what the devil loves to do. The devil loves to cause discord. And can I tell everybody in this great church something? The devil don't give a rip how beautiful your building is. He don't care how great your preacher is. He don't care how wonderful your staff is. He don't care how phenomenal your music is. When the devil gets ready to tear up a church, he'll do it one member at a time, son. Somebody will get their little nose out of joint about something, and the devil will tear up a church. And can I remind you what God says? God says he hates it. In Proverbs, God says he hates it when there's discord in the church. And again, I'm I'm not going to camp here. I'm going because I know I'm in a sweet church. But I want to say this to somebody in this building. You may be a wonderful, mature believer, but maybe there's bitterness in your heart about something that's happened in the past or something that's happened at another church or something that's happened to somebody that's in another state. I want you to know until you get that right, the fire of God won't fall like the fire of God needs to fall. Brother Shane, I pastored two churches. I was a pastor for eight years, two wonderful churches in Florida. I remember the first church I pastored a preacher. I took that church with a 76% vote. I was in my 20s. 76% I say, is that good, Rick? Yeah, it's good if you're running for president. But it ain't good if you're the pastor, son, 76%. But I knew what was going on. There was a deacon over here on this side that was fighting with a young deacon on this side. It's the truth. And we had godly deacons, but those two guys were fighting with one another, and they had built up a little group. I literally, there was one set here and one set here with their group, and they were voting against each other. And they had voted down three previous guys, so I knew that. I knew they voted against three guys. And so I took the church. In my 20s, I took that church because I knew they were voting against each other. And preacher, I got in there, and I'm telling you, it was like for the first six months, preachers know what I'm talking about. It was like plowing a hard field. I was like hitting your head up against a wall. I'm telling you, there was nothing going on. Then one day, one of our deacons came to me and said, Brother Rick, could, could, could the men of our church start praying on Sunday morning before Sunday school? I said, sure. We had that 15 or 20 minutes. and So they came in and they began to kneel to the altar about 9.30 on Sunday morning. We had one worship service in those days. 9.30, they began to pray, pray for 15 or 20 minutes and then go to Sunday school. And preacher, it happened one Sunday. I walked in. And I walked by and I saw that one deacon over here that was fighting with that other deacon that was over here. And they're both at the same altar praying. And then all of a sudden, son, I got down to pray and I heard a shout. And I looked up and that one deacon had run over here and embraced with that other deacon he was fighting with. And those two big macho men fell on their knees at that altar. And I'm telling you, son, the glory of God fell that morning. And I want you to know, this isn't just a preacher story. I want you to know for the next six months, our Sunday school attendance doubled. We had to move to two services. 
We started baptizing every service, and we had to put a pump in the baptistry to keep water in. And folks do that now. Y'all do that. But this was the 80s, man. I mean, we had to put a pump in the baptistry. I'm telling you, the glory of God fell. And I want you to know this isn't just a preacher story. I want you to know when it began. Preacher, revival fell, not because we had an evangelist come in, not because we had a gospel concert, not because we dedicated a new building, not because we had a record offering. Revival came because two men got right with God and right with each other at an altar and God said Holy Ghost revival. I'm telling you revival still fall at the altar. Well, we need a revival of peace. I'm going to give you these next two very quickly. We not only need a revival of peace, boy I need this one. Second of all, we need a revival of purity. We better not just repair the altars of peace, we better repair the altars of purity. Now look what the Bible says, going to get good now son. Look at verse 32. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he made a trench. Ditch is the word in Hebrew. About the altar as great as would contain two measures of seed. Now teenagers, here's what he did. He took a spade or a shovel and he began to dig a dish. Now everybody got the picture? He's already piled the stones up. There's the unity. There's the peace. Now he digs a ditch because that represents the distinction. I'm going to go ahead and say it. The separation. See, ladies and gentlemen, the demons had jumped all over that altar. Men worshiping the devil had scattered those stones. So now the man of God not only piles them up together, but he digs a ditch representing the distinction or the separation. And the Christian life is still a separated life. The Christian life is still a life of holiness. We've got two football teams in our state. The Florida Gators, you know them well. Oh, don't look at me like you don't. The night before the big game, Christians, God, help us beat their brains out tomorrow in the name of Jesus, God. God, oh, we do it in Florida, man. God, if we can just win tomorrow, I'll tie 12%. God, 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 I'll go to Monday night visitation. Don't look at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. We got two teams, the Florida Gators and the Florida State Seminoles. And those two teams hate each other, don't like each other at all. Well, I don't know, 35 years ago or so, I was a young preacher and student minister at the time. A buddy of mine invited me to a Florida, Florida State game in Gainesville. And so I went down there, and I can't go do that stuff anymore. I travel every Saturday. But I went down there, and I mean, it was a hoot. We met Eric. Eric was a preacher friend of ours. David, Brother David, when we met Eric, we busted out laughing. Eric looked like a clown. He had an orange and blue Florida Gator hat on and a garnet and gold Seminole shirt on. Can you imagine four more gaudy colors trying to blend together? And then I'm not making this up. On this arm from wrist to elbow, he had orange, blue, orange, blue, orange, blue wristbands. And on this wrist, he had garnet, gold, garnet, gold, garnet, gold. Oh, he looked like a clown. And we were laughing. And we knew why he did it. Because he was there with his girlfriend. His girlfriend, he was a graduate of the University of Florida. His girlfriend attended Florida State University. And he married her. They now have a mixed marriage. But he married her. He married her, and she's a wonderful woman of God. But son, we couldn't wait till after the game, preacher. After the game, we met him for burgers or something somewhere. I said, hey, Big Eric, how'd you enjoy the game? He said, preacher, most miserable game of my life. He said, I didn't know whether to sit or stand. I didn't know whether to cheer or boo. I didn't know whether to get happy or get sad. Said, I've never been so miserable in my life. Now, that happened 30-something years ago, but I thought, boy, that'll preach right there. See, there's a lot of Christians exactly like that. They've got one foot in the world, and they've got one foot in the church, and they're miserable in both places. They've got just enough of the world they can't enjoy Jesus, and they've got just enough Jesus they can't enjoy the world. 
And I'm going to tell you something without, without mincing words. Friend, if you've got a bottle in your hand on Friday night and a Bible in your hand on Sunday morning, you're going to be miserable. I want you to know if you walk and talk and cuss and fuss with the world and act like the world all week and try to act like a Christian on Sunday, you're going to be miserable. And I'm not preaching perfection. I'm preaching holiness. For the Bible says we are still separated people. My favorite preacher was Dr. Adrian Rogers. And Adrian used to say it like this, a Christian ought to stand out like a diamond in a coal mine. There ought to be that kind of distinction in our life. And I love you today. And I know you don't know me, but I might be preaching to somebody here today that needs a revival of purity. Maybe the world has crept into your life and you need to lay something before the Lord at the altar and say, God, purge me, cleanse me. I need revival. We need to repair the altars of peace. Number two, we need to dig a ditch and repair the altars of purity. I'm going to give you this one. Told you not going to be long. Number three, we need to repair the altars of power. Power. Look what he says. Boy, this is good. Look at verse number 33. And he put the wood in order and cut the bull in pieces. So teenagers, you got a bleeding carcass now on the altar. Now there's blood. I'm going to say that again. Now there's blood. Now the power of God is fixing to fall. I, uh, I have a real material problem in my life. Real, real material. It is. My wife knows it. I'm not a materialistic person, but I love classic cars. And I want a classic car. I do. I want a Camaro. I want a 69 Camaro with an eight-track tape player. I I just do. I'll take a 327. I'll take a 350. I want a Camaro. And by the way, I don't want to start a fight this morning because I like Fords, but the best muscle cars begin with a C. I mean, they just do. I know some of you are going to put me on pause now and go to your happy place because you don't like what I'm saying. Camaro, Chevelle, Corvette. Come on, man. Those are bad boy cars. I'm still praying somebody will donate a 69 Camaro to my ministry. I promise to drive it in the name of Jesus. I really do. (laughs) I was preaching preaching in Woodstock, Georgia a few years ago. Preacher and I talked about me loving them muscle cars. And a guy invited me to come by his warehouse where he had like 75 of them or something like that. Can you imagine? Under one roof, 70 muscle cars. And they all had these plastic uh, uh, wrapped up things. They all were shiny. And all he did was keep them. He didn't show them. He didn't raise them. He just kept them. I thought, man, he's got 75. I, I just want one. Just one. He's got 75. I walked in that warehouse. He said, a preacher, I don't have a Camaro, but way over there in the corner, I've got a 69 SS Chevelle. Son, I walked over and looked at that thing. We're talking candy apple red with a white interior, 396 four-speed Chevelle. Son, he took that wrapper off. I mean, it was so shiny. You could comb your hair in the, well, you could. You could comb your hair looking in the door. <laughs> Son, I'm looking at that thing. You know he said? He said, preacher, you want to take it for the afternoon? I couldn't believe it. He hands me the keys. Preacher, he, it was right there by that roll-up door. He rolled the door up. He said, take it for the afternoon, preacher. Go, go to lunch with it with the pastor and just bring it back later this afternoon. Take it with you. Son, I'm t- preacher, I'm like a little kid. Because you men know what I'm talking about. You just want to hear those things start up. I mean, just start up, man. I put the key in the ignition, and I'm primed and ready. And I'm t- now, by the way, I- I'm living and longing for the rapture of the church. But I'm sitting in that car in the flesh, absolutely, and I'm thinking this, Lord, if Jesus is fixing to come, just give me five minutes. I want five minutes. I know I'm fixing to check out with great speed, but I want my last act on this earth to be fast, son. 
Son, I'm telling you, I put that key in that ignition and click, 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 click. The battery was deader than a hammer. Son, I'm, you'd think a man with 75 cars that have jumper cables somewhere on the property. And we didn't even think about pushing the thing and popping the clutch. Brother Shane, I almost cried. I'm sitting in that car, just that beautiful machine that looks so magnificent, but it had not one ounce of power. It just made a nothing noise. Now, everybody knows where I'm going with this, but I'm going to go ahead and say it anyway. Ladies and gentlemen, there's a lot of people that claim to be Christians like that today. Oh, come on, son. We've got a lot of believers in churches that look good on the showroom floor on Sunday, but they ain't got nothing under the hood. I mean, they're impressive, but there's no ignition. And I remind everybody what I'm preaching because if anybody needs this, I do. By the way, I'm preaching two different sermons today, and that's not to impress anybody. I'm an evangelist, man. I mean, I, I didn't prepare them this week. I can get away with that. But I'm saying that to say I'm preaching this sermon on this early service because God wants this sermon preached. And for some reason, somebody needs this besides me because preacher never in my life, and I've been preaching since I was a 16-year-old boy, over 40 years now, never in my life have I longed for the power of God, a fresh anointing to fall in my life like I do today. God, not a drop or a drizzle, but a downpour. God, pour yourself. When's the last time you stood to teach your Sunday school class and knew you were under the anointing of the Holy Ghost? When's the last time you stood to sing or stood before a group of people and knew you were under the anointing of the Holy Ghost? Because I'm telling you, there ain't nothing like being under the anointing of the Holy Ghost. The power of God surrendered to his power. And by the way, would you look at this significant statement? You talk about the Lord falling on that mountain. Verse 33 said he put the wood in order so there's a bull and he's bleeding. Verse 35 says water ran round about the altar. So now you got blood mixed with water. Y'all know where I'm going with this. Because water in the Bible is symbolic of the Holy Spirit. Son, when you get the blood and the Holy Ghost together, hallelujah. I'm going to say that one more time. When you get the blood and the Holy Ghost together, things happen. And there may be somebody in this wonderful church. Do you understand what this church sees? This church sees people saved all the time. This church is growing phenomenally. This church is a powerhouse for God. But it's possible to come to a church like that and somehow just lose sight of all that. Get used, God, help us never to get used to it. Help us never to get bored with it. Help us never just to look at it and take it for granted. God, send a fresh fire down on us today. Sometimes that's with the confession of personal sin. God, I need your fire. I'm closing right now because there's one more altar. Everybody knows where I'm going and I'll be done. We must repair the altars of peace. We must repair the altars of purity. We must repair the altars of power. And everybody knows we must repair the altars of prayer. Now, you'd expect me to say that, but it's there. For the Bible tells us in verse 36 and 37, he prays less than a 70-word prayer to God. He'd already been alone with God. He was already prayed up. Now, publicly, he prays less than a 70-word prayer. Everybody watch it. 37 says he prays. 36 says he prays. And verse 38 says, then... I'll say it again, then the fire of the Lord fell. Only then, then the fire of the Lord fell. Uh, Brother Shane's already told me, and I've already sensed it. I, I sensed it with the sermons God laid on my heart this week. I'm in a praying church. This church believes in prayer. But there's somebody in this building today that may not pray only when you get desperate. You pray only when something comes up you can't control. Can I remind you the power of prayer? I've got it on my file in Florida. It happened at a county seat, First Baptist Church. Church runs about 500. They were 
on fire for God. And right down the road, this guy wanted to put a bar in. And they voted in the county to do that. And this guy was building bars all over the country. So he's put, can you imagine putting a bar on Main Street right down the road from First Baptist Church? So the pastor who just managed just an old bulldog, fights everything, son, full of the Lord. He got up on Sunday morning. He said, folks, we're going to pray that bar down the street. Close down before it opens up. And everybody cheered. Well, the local newspaper ran the story. They're praying bar closed down before it opens up. Sure enough, it was supposed to open up in September or October. In July of that year, a Florida thunderstorm blew in, lightning struck, burned the bar to the ground. So the owner of the bar took the church to court. It's the truth. And in the very first session, the judge, who was a great old assembly of God man, loved the Lord, he put his gavel on the desk, full of church folks, full of bar folks. Here's what he said. He said, folks, I don't know, this is what the judge said, I don't know what the outcome of this trial will be, but one thing is certain, it is certain that the owner of the bar believes in the power of prayer even if the church does not. If you believe in the power of prayer, shout amen. Amen. This is an altar. You've got to pat it over there. These steps are still an altar, aren't they, preacher? Yes. This is an altar. And I close with these words. Every great spiritual thing that's happened in my life has happened right here. I got saved at an altar. Teenagers, as a 16-year-old boy, I got called to preach at an altar. I got ordained at an altar. My wife and I knelt at an altar to exchange our vows. When I took that church with a 76% vote, I walked in an empty building that day at an altar and poured my life out to God. I resigned a big church in Florida. I didn't deserve to pastor in 1988 doing a traveling evangelism and try to feed two little girls at that time. Didn't even have a son. And my wife didn't know how income was going to come. And I knelt at one of these. What I'm trying to say is the fire of God still falls at an altar. People get saved at an altar. Lives get changed at an altar. Bodies get healed at an altar. Marriages are reunited at an altar. Vision is restored at an altar. Mercy comes at an altar. Grace falls at an altar. Thank God for the altar. We've got one today. Anybody need the altar? I want you to bow with me all over the building. Would you do that as you're standing to your feet with heads bowed and eyes closed? Brother Phillips coming and our musicians, and I haven't had a chance to talk to you, dear folks. I'm going to do something. Our musicians, as you come, I'm going to pray first before y'all play. So y'all come on and get ready, and I'm going to pray. And after I pray, I'll ask the music to begin, sister. The music will begin our invitation. Our men of God are standing at the front. And folks, listen to me. God has led me to preach to the church today. So I want to do this before we before I turn over the man of God. I want to open up the altar. First of all, somebody may need to get saved. Friend, you don't need revival. You need Bible. You need Jesus. You're under conviction today. You're going to die without God and go to hell. Come to one of our men of God and say, I want Jesus. Somebody might need to move your membership and join this church. You ought to do it today. You know why? Obedience brings revival. And I'll invite you to come. But Brother Shane, I want to open the altar up, and here's how I want to do it. I want to just say we're doing more than praying for revival. I want to say, does anybody have a need in your physical life, your family life, your financial life, most of all, your spiritual life? Anybody have a prayer request today you want to lay down at the altar? I'm going to invite people all over the building to come, and let's have a big altar call today. What a way to kick off a revival meeting. But we're going to trust God and pray at this altar. And I know you can pray at your seat, but there's something about getting on our knees at an altar. And some of you may not physically be able to kneel, but you want to come down here and just stand. So I'm going to pray. 
When I finish, my sister's going to begin to play. If you've got special spiritual need, our men of God are standing right here. But I want to open the altar up. I've got a need today. I'm taken to the altar. I pray you'll join me. God, I thank you for the privilege to be in this great church. God, right now in the name of Jesus, I pray for folks who are going to lay petitions before you at this altar, seeking your face right now. God, would you move in Jesus' name, I pray. With heads bowed and eyes closed, the music's beginning right now. As the music begins, I want to invite those that will join me. Anybody got something you want to bring to the altar today? Step out and come right now. Step out and come right now from all across the house. Step out and come right now. And I know you've been praying for revival, but I want you to come. Something about the first service, laying it before the Lord. Our men of God are standing right here. If anybody's got a special need, spiritual need, need of salvation, a need to come into this fellowship, I need to be baptized. Man, you've been saved, but you had not been baptized. And folks are coming. I know we're in a praying church. I'm fixing to join you. Brother Philip, I'm going to ask you to lead us all, brother, in singing in just a moment when you get to that next part. But all over the house, I want you to join us. Who else needs to come to the altar? Come on, right now.